Hey, and thanks for taking the time to listen with us here at Gospel Way as we seek to find rest in Christ. Please know that this is supplemental and does not replace your local church or the pastor that God has given to shepherd your soul. But it is our prayer that God will use these resources to bless you and point you to Jesus. Let me call our attention one more time to the book of John chapter 17 and verse number 17. John chapter 17 and verse number 17 We'll begin reading verse number 15 and read down through verse number 19, but we once again, and this will be the final Sunday uh, that we'll key in just on verse number 17, and I'll mention more about that in just a moment, but uh, we've been looking at this verse for quite some time now, and great truths that we've found in this verse. Let's read in verse number 15. The Bible said, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Let's pray. Father, once again, we thank you for the privilege and the opportunity to open your word. Lord, I thank you for the time that we have to corporately come together around your word. We thank you for the truths that we find in the scripture. We ask you this morning that you would help us and aid us as we try to proclaim the Scripture. I pray that you would help us and aid us as we are listeners to the Scripture. I pray that you would enable us this morning to do that that would be pleasing in your sight. And for these things, we'll give you honor and glory and praise for everything that you do. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Once again, verse number 17 makes this statement, Christ is praying, and we've, we, we should by this point, as a group of people, we should almost have this verse of Scripture memorized because we've been over it and over it and over it again. Uh, we should basically understand and know what Christ has prayed as He prayed in verse number 15 down through verse number 17. Christ's concern was that God not take us out of the world, but He keep us from the evil one. That He guard us. And how is it that He guard us except that He sanctify us? That He cleanse us? That He continually works in our life that progressive work of sanctification that He does in our life. And by the way, you and I understand this 
and should understand this by now. That is God's Word. It's not our Word. We're not sanctifying ourselves. But He is sanctifying us. That is what Christ is praying to the Father. He said, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. He did not, he did not pray and say, Father, help them to sanctify themselves. He said, Father, sanctify them. And what did the Apostle Paul even tell us? He told us that we are now His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. So any good works that come from us is a work that God is working in us. It is not we working that work ourselves. It cannot be. As we look at this passage of Scripture, and we have looked at this passage of Scripture for the last eight weeks, as the times that we've been together and, and I've preached to you, there's been eight weeks that we've worked on this verse of Scripture and we've looked at so many different truths. We've looked at the fact that God works through truth. We've looked at sanctification being a continuous process. We've looked at it being a one all-inclusive process. And the truth is one all-inclusive truth. It's not God breaking a truth down here and a truth down here and a truth down here. It's an inclusive truth. It, it's included in all that God is. And God, by the way, God is truth. His Word is truth. But God is truth. We've understood and looked at the truth about God. We've looked at the truth about sin. We've looked at the truth about new creatures that we are in Christ Jesus. And we've looked at the truth about us being in Christ and Christ in us. We've looked at those truths. Today we want to close out this section of looking at truth with looking at the doctrine of the resurrection. The doctrine of the resurrection. Understand this morning, and we'll understand more clearly as we go down through uh, this thought this morning about the resurrection of Christ, we'll understand the significance of the resurrection of Christ upon our sanctification. There would be no sanctification if it were not for the resurrection of Christ. There would be no salvation if it were not for the resurrection of Christ. There are many, multiple other truths that we could look at in light of this verse of Scripture where it said, sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. We could preach the entire word of God out of that verse of Scripture because the entire word of God is truth and we could get that truth from that verse of Scripture. So we could preach about sanctification from now on. We don't have... <laughs> 
we, we want to move into other things. So we're going to close out this section of John chapter number 17 and this verse of Scripture in John chapter number 17 by looking at the doctrine of the resurrection. It is necessary that we understand this doctrine and that we understand its effects on our sanctification. I want to give you four thoughts and then we're going to dig into this matter of sanctification. And the way that we're going to do that is we're going to turn to another passage of Scripture that deals with, in fact, a chapter that deals with sanctification and deals with the resurrection. And you'll understand more clearly what it has to do with our sanctification. But I want to give you four thoughts this morning, four proofs or four things that the resurrection proves. I give you these four things and they're in your bulletin this morning, but number one is that Jesus of Nazareth is the eternal Son of God. Why is that? Because of all the prophecies that were prophesied and how that He would be risen again. How that He would raise from the dead. So we understand that Jesus of Nazareth as a proof, as, as the resurrection is a proof of the fact that Jesus of Nazareth is the eternal Son of God. Not only that, but the resurrection also proves Jesus' claim that He was sent by the Father. He even told us that in John chapter number 17 that He was sent by the Father. And He did all that the Father sent Him to do. Then we understand not only that, but Jesus has conquered every enemy that opposed Him. The resurrection proves that Jesus Christ has conquered every enemy that opposed Him and opposed the work that He did in our reconciliation, in our salvation, in our being placed in Him, He uh, he conquered all that opposed Him. Then understand, fourthly, that Jesus' life after death is of vital importance to us and our sanctification. And we're going to see that as we turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. Paul is writing his first letter to the church at Corinth. As he's writing to them, no doubt there were some among them that were saying, there was no resurrection. And Paul made clear to them that the resurrection was a true fact. And there is even a verse of Scripture when we get down through here, there's a verse of Scripture in here that the Mormons take out and place by itself and they form a whole practice in their doctrine off of this one verse of Scripture. 
And we're going to do our best to try to explain to you what Paul's explaining to the church at Corinth when he mentions that. And we'll get to that as we get down to it. But I want us to walk through this chapter. And I want us, we're not going to belabor every verse. We're not going to pull out every even section of verse. But I want us to, as we read down through it and as we make statements about it, I want us to understand the importance of the resurrection. And Paul brings that out very much so in this passage of Scripture. He says here in verse number 1 of chapter number 15, he said, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand. So Paul starts out on this matter of the resurrection. He starts out with the fact of the gospel. What is the gospel in a nutshell? If we were to put the gospel in just one nutshell, but you can't do that, but if we were to put it in one nutshell, it would be the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. That's what Paul told us the gospel was in a nutshell. But the gospel is so much more broad than that. The reason the gospel is so much more broad than that is because the gospel began all the way back in Genesis chapter number 1. Because that was the beginning of the story that God told of the redemptive act of God for a people who were His people. So understand, even the first gospel message was preached in Genesis chapter number 3. And no greater preacher could have ever preached that message than God Himself. He preached the message, the gospel message in Genesis chapter number 3. But Paul starts out this, this chapter and he said, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which ye also received and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved. If ye keep in memory that which I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you First of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And that He was buried and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. I want to I bring something out from what Paul just made the statement of. There are many today that will tell you that the Old Testament is of no necessity. That it's obsolete. That it's just stories gone by. I beg to differ when Paul makes the statement here. He makes the statement twice in these verses of Scripture. He says, according to the Scripture. Paul did not have the New Testament. He had the Old Testament. So if Paul is telling us that the gospel that he preached was according to the Scriptures, the Scriptures he's talking about is the Old Testament. 
So if he's talking about the gospel and he's talking about according to the scriptures, then the scriptures are of necessity and the Old Testament is of necessity. It's one complete story that he's telling. But he goes down through here and he says here in verse number 5, And that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that he was seen of five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are falling asleep. Paul is telling the church at Corinth. He said, I am saying what I'm saying, that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, that he was resurrected, that he's alive and well, and that he was seen of Cephas, and of the twelve, and at a later point he was seen of over 500 people, of those which are many of those which are present with us now, is what Paul was saying. He said, if you don't believe just me, ask those 500 that saw him at one time. Ask the twelve. Inquire. You and I don't have that privilege. You and I can't go ask someone uh, uh, face to face whether they saw the resurrected Christ. But we have the evidence of the scriptures that you and I have where Paul said that this did happen. That this did take place. He said in verse number 7, After that he was seen of James, then of all the apostles, And last of all, he was seen of me also as one born out of due time. And by the way, Paul stops here to tell us what he thinks of himself. He says here, for I am the least of the apostles that am not meet to be called an apostle because... Why why was Paul... Why did Paul have the thought that he wasn't meet to be called an apostle. He said, because I persecuted the church of Christ. Paul said, because of everything that I had done in my past, I'm not even meet to be called an apostle. But you and I look at the apostle Paul and we think he's one of the greatest apostles. Why? Because of the work that Christ did in him. Not that Paul did, but the work that Christ did in him and through him. He goes on to tell us here in verse number 10, he said, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. What you see today is what Paul was saying. He said, what you see today is by the grace of God. (laughs) What's he saying? He said, the grace of God appeared to him. The grace of God was revealed to him. Paul said he was the chiefest of sinners, but the grace of God appeared to him on the road to Damascus and he received the grace of God that was bestowed upon him. And in doing so, he said, because of that saving grace, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I. You get that? Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. 
Paul said, I labored more than all of them. What did we talk about several weeks ago? That when God changes the disposition of a person, that doesn't change the nature of that person and who that person is. Paul went, Paul ran headlong after the church before he was saved, and after he was saved, he ran headlong for the church in preaching the gospel. He was, he's just stating here that I am what I am and, and it's by the grace of God that God did the work in me and I am what I am by the grace of God. And then he tells us in verse number 11, he said, Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach and so ye believe. Paul said he just labored more than the rest of them, but he said whether it was me or whether it was them, the blessed thing is you believed. And what's he talking about? He's talking about the resurrection. He's dealing solely with the resurrection. He says here in verse number 12, Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead... How say some, what among you? How say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? Now Paul is going to go into explaining some things. And understand that as we walk down through this passage of Scripture. Paul is doing what he's doing in explanation of the resurrection. He said, but if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen. He said, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. Why? He goes on to tell us, and we're going to get down into that, Christ is the firstborn among many brethren. He is the first to resurrect. He is the first to resurrect unto eternal life. And that is the life that he said he was given us in John chapter 17, is it not? He says here in verse number 13, But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain and is your faith also vain. What did he just get through telling everybody? He said, I preached unto you. And what I preached unto you, you believed. And he's saying, if you're saying there's no resurrection, then Paul is saying, if there is no resurrection, my preaching was vain and your believing was vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God. He's saying, we're saying the wrong thing about God if this is not so. Because we have testified of God that He raised up Christ, whom He raised not up, if so be that the dead raised not. Paul is tying in to the resurrection of Christ, the resurrection of the saints. And he goes on to tie it in even more in depth. 
He said, for if the dead raise not, then is not Christ raised. If, if you don't have one, you don't have the other. If Christ is not risen, the dead in Christ are not risen. And if the dead in Christ do not rise, it is because Christ is not risen. He's saying you can't have one without the other. If Christ is risen, those who are in Christ are risen. You know what the blessing is, Brother Ricky? You and I, although we have not died yet, we are risen. How are we risen? We are risen spiritually. We, <laughs> we are already resurrected from the dead. We are already resurrected from the dead that we were without Christ. How are we already resurrected from the dead? Because we're saved and placed in Christ. Is it not God that said He hath quickened us who were dead in our trespasses and sins? We've already been resurrected. You see why the resurrection is necessary and, 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 and vital to our sanctification? That resurrection must be and is in place or there would be no sanctification. He says in verse number 17, And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. Ye are yet in your sins. He's saying if Christ is not risen, you're still dead in your sins. Why? Because that resurrection that you and I have, that spiritual awakening, that quickening that we have is in Christ. And it's in Christ's resurrection. It is because of Christ's resurrection. Then he said, if in this life only. And I used to read that so wrong. But he's, he's making the statement here. He said, if in this life only we hope in Christ. I used, I used to think if in this life only we have hope, we're of all men most miserable. I used, to, I used to miss that one part. He said, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we're of all men most miserable. It is not just the hope that I have in Christ right now, but it's the hope I have in Christ for eternity that gives me life worth living. He said, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. In verse number 20, but now is Christ risen from the dead. And because of the first fruits of them that, and became the first fruits of them that, that sleep, slept, for since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection from the dead. The first Adam and the last Adam. The first Adam brought death. The last Adam brought life. And he brought life. And what, what did Christ pray in John chapter 17? He did not just pray about life, but he prayed about life eternal. Life everlasting. Yes. 
And that life is in the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, for as in Adam all died, in verse number 22, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. You see, he's not just talking about that physical resurrection, but he's talking about because of the physical resurrection of Christ, you and I have a spiritual resurrection. We who are dead in our trespasses and sins are made alive in the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse number 23, but every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits after they that are Christ at his coming. Then cometh the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom of God, even the Father, even he shall have put down all rule and all authority and all power. For he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. What was one of the proofs that I told you that the resurrection proved? That Christ had overcome every enemy that opposed what he was doing. The resurrection is necessary. It is of essence to our salvation and it is of essence to our sanctification. And we're going to see that even more so in a moment. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. What's going to be done away with completely one day? Death going to be obliterated it's going to be gone there will be no new life as we know new life as a as a babe that cries in a in a nursery there won't be that there will be that new life in Christ Jesus that we have all been given He says here in verse number 24, Then cometh the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom of God, even the Father, even he shall put down the rule of all authority and power, and he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. For he hath put all things under his feet. But when he saith all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is expected, which did put all things under him. And when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him." that God may be all in all. Does that not take us back to all things being to the glory of God? Is that not what Jesus prayed at the beginning of His prayer? He said, Father, glorify me that I might glorify You. It's all to the glory of God. And He said, all these things will be done that all glory may be to God. 
In verse number 29, Else what shall they do that which are baptized for the dead if the dead be not raised at all? Why are they baptized for the dead? And by the way, that is the verse of Scripture that the Mormons take that one verse and run with it. And they say that they're baptizing for the dead when all that Paul is doing... Now, there's not any historical evidence that that was going on in the church at Corinth. There's not any evidence that there were churches immediately there, but undoubtedly there was someone in that culture who was baptizing for the dead. And what Paul is doing is he is explaining to them that if they're baptizing for the dead, then why are they doing that if there is no resurrection? That's all Paul's trying to say. Paul's not putting some new doctrine down. He's just continually doing what he's done all down through this whole chapter. And he's explaining. Once again, he's making the statement in verse number 29. He said, Else what shall they do which are baptized for the dead if the dead be not raised at all? Why shall they then baptize for the dead? He even goes on in verse number 30. And why stand ye here in jeopardy every hour? I protest by your rejoicing, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die daily. If after the manner of men I have fought with a beast at Ephesus, what advantage it, what advantageth it me if the dead raise not? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we shall die. Paul said if there is no resurrection, if there is no life after death, then we might as well just eat and drink and be merry, for tomorrow we shall die, and it's all going to be over with. And by the way, that's what the Jehovah Witness would tell you. That once you go to the grave, that's it. It's over with. They don't believe there's a hell. They don't believe. In fact, you want to scare them to death, teach them about hell. But what I'm trying to tell you this morning is Paul is, Paul is clarifying the resurrection, the doctrine of the resurrection. He said, if after the manner of men I have fought with a beast of Ephesus, what advantage is it me if, I, if the dead raise not? Let us eat, let us drink, for tomorrow we shall die. Then he says in verse number 33, Be not deceived, evil communications corrupt good manners. Paul, with that statement, is going back to what he's just got through saying. He's saying all these things, the baptizing for the dead, people saying there is no resurrection, people saying that, 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 that there's no life after death. People are saying all of these things and Paul is telling the church at Corinth, he said, be not deceived. These evil communications that are being spoken among you will corrupt good manners. 
And he's not talking about yes ma'am, no ma'am, yes sir, no sir, please and thank you. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about these evil communications will corrupt good living, good life, that manner of life that we have before us. He said oh, evil communications corrupt good manners. Then he says in verse number 34, awake to righteousness. He's telling them to awaken their spiritual senses to the righteous teachings of the resurrection. Awake to righteousness and sin not. For some have not the kingdom of God. I speak this to your shame. Here's what Paul's getting at. And here's... Here's where he begins to lead in to what resurrection has to do with our salvation, our, our sanctification, what, what the doctrine of resurrection has to do with our sanctification is because the greater we believe in the resurrection, the greater we believe in a life after death, the greater that we believe in the truths that we see in the Word of God, the cleaner we live. Why? Because it matters. If there is no resurrection, it doesn't matter. And Paul's saying because of the resurrection, because of the teaching of the resurrection, he said, awake to righteousness and sin not. For some have not the knowledge of God. He said, I speak that to your shame because you're going about living in a way that you do not believe in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And because of that, your life seems as though it just does not matter. That's what basically Paul was telling them. And the more that we believe in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, the more that we believe that there's a life after death, the more we believe that there is something beyond this life, the more we're going to adhere to what the commandments of God are because it matters to us. We're not doing it because it matters and pertains to our salvation. We're doing it because... That, that, that eternal life that we have before us matters to us. It means something to us. And because it means something to us, listen, the, life, the, the, the relationship that I have with my wife, the relationship we have with each other is because we love one another and the reason that we have the bond that we have is because that marriage relationship matters. If life after death were not so, and we were taught that life after death was not so, then this life would not matter. But because of the resurrection, because of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, because of the spiritual resurrection that we have in Christ, our life does matter. And that's what Paul was trying to get them to understand. Then he said in verse number 35, But some men will say, How are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? 
thou fool, thou which slowest it, thou which sowest is not quickened except it die. And that which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body that shall be, but bare grain. It may chance of wheat or some other grain, but God giveth it a body as it hath pleased Him, and to every seed His own body. Paul is saying the same thing that he said in chapter number 12 when he said, you're members of that body. And members of that body in particular. And you've been placed in that body as it hath pleased God. He said, when you put that seed in the ground, that seed had to die in order for it to spring forth. And it sprung forth and brought forth grain. Paul said because of everything, because of even, he's brought even the natural way of life. He's brought the fact that that grain of sand, that grain had to be put into the ground. It had to die and it had to spring forth. And he's bringing out the fact that that life, that resurrected life comes from God. It's not something that we possess. It's something that God placed in us. In verse number 39, he says, All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, and another kind of flesh of beasts, and another of fish, and another of birds. There are also celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial. But the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars. For one star differeth from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption, but it is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor, and it is raised unto glory. It is sown in weakness, and it is raised in power. It is sown in the natural body, and it is raised in the spiritual body. There is a natural body, and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. And I like what Paul said. He said, the last Adam was made a quickening spirit. He didn't say the second Adam. He said the last Adam. There will be no need for another because this Adam shall not fail. This Adam shall not fall. How be it that it was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterwards that which is spiritual. The first man is to the earth earthy. The second is the Lord from heaven. As is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy. And as is the heavenly, so also are the heavenly. What's Paul saying? 
Paul's saying in light of the resurrection, in light of the doctrine of the resurrection, in light of our lives here on earth, those that are earthy are earthy. And those that are spiritual, those that have been resurrected unto spiritual life, those who have been quickened in the Lord Jesus Christ are heavenly. You and I, what... What God is doing in sanctification in us is an evidence of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is an evidence of of us being placed in a resurrected Christ and having that Spirit resurrected in us. And as we have been born the image of the earthy, we also shall bear the image of the heavenly. Now this I say, brethren, that the flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. (laughs) There are people that would take that verse of Scripture and tell you that if you don't do this and you don't do that and you don't live this way and you don't live that way and you don't go here and you don't go there and you do go here and you do go there, then you're not saved. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul is basically telling us here, brethren, that which is flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. He's telling us that if we are not resurrected in Christ, we're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. It has nothing to do with our corruption and our incorruption. And he goes on in these, these famous last verses that we have here. In verse number 51, Behold, I show you a mystery. Paul said, I've said everything I've said. Now I'm going to show you the mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, at the trump that shall sound, And the dead in Christ shall rise incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying as that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as ye know your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Paul said because of everything I just got through telling you. He said, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable. Why? Because of the doctrine of of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And because you and I are found in Him. 
in His resurrection. We have been made alive because of His resurrection. Charles Spurgeon put it this way. He said, let us never think that we have learned a doctrine until we have seen the fruits of that doctrine in our life. That's what Paul was getting at. That's the reason that it is important that you and I, as the children of God, understand the doctrine of the resurrection. Because the doctrine of the resurrection is essential and necessary for our sanctification. Because the greater we know, the greater we understand, and the greater we grow in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, the more working of sanctification takes place in our life. That's what Paul was telling us. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast. Understand the resurrection. Understand that that work that is in us is not of we ourselves. But that work that is in us is the work of God in us because we were created in Christ Jesus. He didn't stop there. It is unto good works. But those good works are not produced until we understand that we have that eternal life and that eternal life is in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not in us. It's not in my works. Those works come because I am in Christ. They don't come to produce me in Christ. They come because I am already in Christ. Let's pray.